Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome, everybody, to this week's exciting episode. <laughs> Said the salmon. Ah, oh, right, okay, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember what film that's from, but I've, I know I've seen it. Yeah, uh, Road Trip. Is it Road Trip, yeah. I, I was thinking either, either Road Trip or Freddie Got Fingered. Yeah. <laughs> Same guy, for, yeah. uh, Tom Green, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, in this exciting episode, we have our final part of the uh, Chronicles of Mia Naya by Giuseppe La Rosa. He likes to be called Joe. Mm. Uh, now, obviously, I'm going to have to address this because there's probably people listening to this that feel, or when they listened to last week's episode, they may have had some feelings similar to yours when we listened back to the episode. Obviously, you were following the the story when we were going through it, and then when we listened back to it afterwards, you did start ripping into it a little bit. You were you were like, "Oh, come on, <laughs> that's a bit convenient," isn't it? yeah. and you know, some pointers like that. And I'd like to say that that is mostly down to my whitewashing over parts of the story. The the story really isn't as like simple as what I've tried to make it out. You know, they mm. go here, oh this is presented to them, go there, that there are months and years in between what these happenings. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it's it's not as simple as just like everything just gets given to them, even if whether they um completed their task or not. It, it is a bit more of a, like a jigsaw puzzle, you know, mm. where they do have to put effort in that I may not have covered in the book, which is why I am going to plug the book again and say, go and buy it. If you want to fill in these blanks that I have left out, buy it, read it yourself. Um, it's available on Amazon. Mm. I did go back and have a look. It's around about £20. And I've actually created an affiliate link which I'll put in the description of this episode. So if you're interested in going and buying this book, you can follow that link, and it won't cost you any extra if you were planning on buying it anyway, but we will earn, I think it's about 4% commission on it. Nice. <laughs> um, so I have to make that aware, you're aware of that, because for the affiliate links, there's, that is a legal obligation. Yep. So now we get to it. 
And we were on chapter eight, and it's called The Night of the Horay. Mm, the Horay. The Horay, yeah. H-O-R-A-E. Sounds like a fancy horse. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose it does. I'm yeah. going to ride or, my horay. Many horses. <laughs> a group of horses. <laughs> a group of horay. Mm. Mm. But anyway, yeah, so this is, like I said, we're, we're coming up to the end game now. Uh, there are, it, it is spread out a little bit. Um, Thanos this, has got his stones. Yeah, we, we've got all our stones. We've got the chalice. We've got the, the sword of Guevara. Um, I don't know. Do you remember they mentioned something about uh, getting Excalibur early in the book? I think yeah. that was... I think they didn't get that due to not all of them passing their tests. Oh, okay. But Guevara, obviously, in the book is inferred to be King Arthur's Lady Guinevere. So, I mean, her sword is like the next best thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they've got everything that they need or so far. And in this chapter, uh, obviously, Graham, who is their lead uh, uh Psychic, Psychic kind of guy. Yeah, medium kind of guy. Uh, he He's um, invited them all together. And they've, they've, they've got this task. Uh, Graham takes them each out into the garden, over the fence and into the woods, one at a time. And he does this little ritual with them. And it's, it's only... Uh, um, it's only... We only hear about what actual he he does with Joe. Um, so uh, Janet Janet went off before Joe, and then when she comes back, uh, she she turns to Joe and says, "It's your turn next." So off he goes, and he goes to meet Graham in 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 this little coppice of woods in the middle of the field. Um, and he says, uh, after a few steps, Graham stopped and turned to me. Even in the moonlight, I could see that he was in a trance. He held out his hand. Take this object, he said firmly. It's called the key. This will enable you to tune into certain past events which occurred at the place that I'm taking you to. So holding, it, holding out my hand, Graham placed the object into my outstretched palm. Uh, trudging through the fields at the dead of the night it had its pitfalls and treading on ruminants excreta was one of them. So there's a lot of cow pat. Ah, right? yes. <laughs> Um, he says, Joe, I want you to use the key and tune into past events that occurred here. Not knowing what to expect, I gripped the key tightly and closed my eyes. Immediately a picture appeared in my mind. What do you see? Graham whispered. I see a group of men standing around a campfire. They are dressed in kind of tunic. One of the men has a beard. This man has a purple cloak. He has turned around and is looking in my direction. Now he's pointing directly at me. That is correct, Graham responded. Why is he pointing at you? I'm not sure, I replied, but I have the feeling that I was once that person. And what was your name at that time? I stared, stared back at the man in my vision. Iolon, I said immediately. Graham moved towards me, his hand held out. That is all for now. Please give me the key. Placing the key in his hand, I wondered what on earth was happening. My thoughts were shattered when, without any warning, a sudden high-pitched buzzing sound began to emanate from the key. Graham's arm began to move erratically, thrusting his body into strange angles. Quick, Graham yelled. You must run. It's beginning to energise. Not needing to be told twice, I turned and began to race back through the darkness, the high-pitched vibration ringing in my ears. Um... I continued to retrace my steps, concerned for Graham's safety. I, 
I slowed down and looked back again towards the coppice. The blackness had swallowed it, and it was now indiscernible. I could not hear the key. Whether it had stopped or I was too far away to hear it, I was not sure. Whatever the case, I knew I had to return to my friends. Continuing to my, on my retreat, I arrived back at the boundary fence. Climbing over, I stumbled back into the garden and walked quickly over to the fire and joined the rest of the group. Where's Graham? Terry remarked, as he noticed my heavy breathing. I left him at the coppice, I retorted truthfully. He, he'll probably be back in a minute. Um, although I believe that Graham was not really in any real danger, I was still worried about him nonetheless. Not being able to say anything about what transpired limited me in expressing my concern to my colleagues. My, worry were, my worries were eased when Graham appeared at the top of the garden, seemingly none the worse for what happened. Michael, you are next, he shouted. Mike walked up to Graham. Together they melted into the darkness. After a short time, Mike re reappeared, his place then taken by Pat, Marion, and last of all, by Gaynor. With the return of Gaynor and Graham, we all gathered round the fire. Now that's over, I can tell you all what is going to occur tonight, Graham began to explain. Tonight, in order to combat certain forces that are going to confront us, we have to retrieve an artifact called the Core. The Core is located inside Terry's Lounge, and it was inserted into the energy vortex that we know as the pillar. But there is a problem that you should all be aware of. Once we have obtained the object, the power held within the core will activate and attract certain life forms that are known as the Hore. Mm. The Hore are def the defensive mechanism of the universe. They act in a way similar to antibodies in the bloodstream, which detect and attack any intruders in their domain. Detecting any major psychic disruptions or great surges of psychic activity, they seek out to nullify or destroy those who seek to break the boundaries of reality in order to restore the status quo. Essentially, they are benign in nature, seeking only to keep the balance of energy in the cosmos. Unfortunately, we have really no way in stopping their attack. Graham paused and looked at me. Joe, I want you and Janet to follow me into the lounge. I won't read all of this, but what they essentially do is they go into the lounge and they locate, sort of in the middle of the lounge, there's this energy that they call the pillar, this energy stream that runs up vertically through the building. And he gets Joe to stand on one side of it, Janet to stand the other side of it, and then he places a sofa on the far side and stands... Uh, opposite the sofa. So, so Joe, Joe and Janet are opposite each other, and then he is opposite the sofa in sort of a square or a cross. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. And then he says, right, I've got to jump through the the pillar of energy and grab this core. But you can't see the pillar of energy. No, you can't see it. And they neither Joe or Janet can either see like this object that he's trying to retrieve either. And it takes him a couple of three attempts. Um, but each time... He sort of takes a little run up. He jumps through midair. Literally, you can't see this pillar of energy, so it just looks like he's jumping through the air trying to snatch at something that's invisible and then just, like, crumples into the sofa. He must look like a, a nutter. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, but I think on his third third attempt, uh, it says here, he stood up, a broad grin across his face. I've got it, he exclaimed. I've got the core. Opening his hand, a square, perspex-like object, not unlike the key but bigger, lay in his palm. Is that it? I blurted out, wondering if the rather ordinary odd looking artifact was truly the core. That's it, Graham replied. It's certainly unimpressive, I responded. As I looked at Janet, Janet's face expressed the same sentiment. Do not be fooled by its appearance, Graham remarked as he made for the back door. Janet, 
uh, Janet and I trooped out behind him as we exited the cottage and made our way to the rest of the comrades. We have the core, Grant barked, seeing to gain, seeking to gain attention, everybody's attention. Now Gaynor and I will have to take it to the pool of protection. How are you feeling, Graham? Terry inquired. Not too bad at this time. Wish I was, Terry complained. I feel quite sick at the moment. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, th they had to begin the night by drinking alcohol as well. They had they, to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Apparently yeah. part of their instructions was to, you know, have a few <laughs> vodkas and, you know, it was to, I think it was something to, to loosen the psychic vibrations or something like that, they oh, said. Did this come from Graham, did it? Uh, yeah, possibly, oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, one of them spirits come through him again, telling him to have a drink. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, what about the horror, Terry croaked? Don't worry, Graham responded. They will not attack you. If you stand around the fire, you will be protected. Uh, the Horay will follow us, Graham said. We must take it to the pool so that the core can be thrown into it. If anything happens out there, you must not come to assist us. Marion hugged her daughter. She was, of course, concerned for her daughter's safety, but she also knew her courage. Gaynor linked Graham's arms with hers, and together they walked to the top end of the garden and disappeared into the velvety blackness. We heard them climb the fence and drop into the field. I hope they'll be all right, Pat, Pat intim intimated concernedly. Um, a few minutes later, after they've disappeared into the darkness, a burst of light caught my attention, followed by another, and then another, a short distance away. Gaynor shrieked in pain. The sky was suddenly full of myriad flashes of brilliant white light. At that instant, I realized that this was the horror and that they had commenced their attack. Gaynor shrieked again and again, followed by Graham's cries of anguish. A buzzing sound, similar to that associated with electricity pylons, filled the air. Tiny pinpricks of pulsating light swarmed the field. The horror had found their prey. Safe in the garden, we stood panic-stricken as the pained cries of our friends reverberated through the night air. We've got to go and help them, I cried out vehemently. We can't, Terry yelled back. Graham told us on no account must we follow them. But we must do something, I shouted. Something awful's happening out there. A scurrying sound at the top of the garden alerted us that someone was there. Suddenly, as if by magic, Graham manifested out of the darkness, followed by Gaynor. Although a bit dishevelled, they seemed none the worse for their dramatic encounter with the horror. Marion rushed to her daughter. I'm all right, Mum, Gaynor protested as Marion... Uh, put protective arm around her. What happened out there? Marion asked. The core became active, which attracted the horror, Graham responded. Those initial bursts of light were the energy produced by the core. This enabled the horror to pinpoint our location, and so they attacked us. They were so strong, they attacked our minds, so we had to come back. What's going to happen now, Graham? Terry said. I don't know, but I think that it's going to end here. The forces that we are fighting against are going to try and stop us somehow. Without warning, Graham suddenly clutched his stomach and doubled up in pain. They're attacking me. Beware, they want to kill Gaynor. She has the power. His words were cut short by it as he stood bolt upright. A malevolent grin spread slowly across his face. At that moment, thoughts of my experience on the Norfolk Broad sprung into mind. Things I knew that I had just turned pear-shaped. Something had taken over our colleague. Graham pointed to us and laughed. You have no power, he proclaimed loudly. But she has to die, he pointed a finger at Gaynor and sneered. Whatever it was that had taken over Graham, it was undoubtedly evil. Graham clutched his stomach again and bent forward. It's me, Graham, he gasped. I'm trying to fight him. Stand around the fire, it's your only protection. Immediately he stood erect again and we ran 
and we ran and stood by the fire. He approached us, his face full of malice. You do not think that fire will stop me, he sneered venomously. Graham moved menacingly towards us. Terry and I each picked up a burning piece of wood and waved them at our advancing colleague. Graham halted in his tracks and began to spit and growl. That will not stop me. You will not harm his body. Terry and I looked at each other. He was right, of course. There was no way we could have hurt our friend. Graham raced past us and kicked out the fire. Burning sticks and red-hot embers flew across the garden. With the fire scattered in different directions, the garden became even darker. Graham stood threateningly close by. Suddenly, he bent double again. It's me. I've temporarily iced him, but I think he's too strong for me. This is what you must do. Pat, Marion, Janet, Joe must go to the pool. Marion must carry the core and throw it into the pool. Joe, you must take Guevara's chalice with the rose quartz stones and throw it also into the pool. I will explain why later, but you must be careful. You cannot make a torch with, take a torch with you, for the Hore may follow the light. Terry and Mike must stay behind to protect Gaynor. They must stand in the stone circle. Go now, hurry, time is running out. Uh, are you sure that was Graham, I asked, trying to keep my feelings at bay? Yes, it was, Pat, but I didn't. Now let's hurry. Okay, so... Again, I'm not going to read this entire chapter, but that basically they, is what they do. They take off across the fields, uh, obviously in darkness. They're trying to find this pool of uh, protection. There's a picture of it here. Um, and when they're halfway there, they realise that someone's following them. Thinking that it's like the farmer that's come to oust them off his land or whatever, they start running away. And it's actually Mike... Uh, oh yeah! For some reason, Graham's sent Mike after them. Um, so it's now back at the house. Gainer in the stone circle. Graham, who's trying to attack her, and only Terry is left there to defend. Ah! And obviously, this group trudge through all the fields. You know, going through hedges and all that sort of thing. Manage to make their way to the pool. And, and yeah, they start throwing stuff in. Um, so Marion says, right, here goes the core. Her right arm flew forward. The core arced up through the air and the pale moonlight highlighting its path and its downward flight. It landed in a pool with a plop. A small purple of ripples, the only sign that it's last resting place. It's your turn now, Pat said gently as she turned to me. I hesitated, not wanting to relinquish the chalice to its watery grave. Are you sure we're doing the right thing? I said... Yes, Marion scolded him. It has to be done now. Staring out into the darkness, a feeling of abject hopelessness overtook me. I moved closer to the water's edge. I did not want to throw in my artefact that had materialised from nowhere. I must be mad, I thought to myself. In the mirrored surface of the pool, the moon's image could be seen, acting almost as a witness to the events that were transpiring. At that moment, a peaceful calm descended upon me. My mind went tranquil. It was time. Removing it from the safety of my jacket, I gazed at the chalice one last time. In the dark, the rose quartz crystals appeared to glint tantalisingly. It was a beautiful object. In one smooth movement, Janet scooped a handful of quartz out of the chalice and shoved them into my jacket pocket. At least you'll have something that came from the chalice, she whispered to me. Here goes nothing, I yelled as I lobbed Guevara's wooden chalice into the air. Almost as if it was in slow motion, I followed the cup through the moonlight as it traced a long arc through the cool night breeze disappeared into dark recesses of overhanging trees, landing with a loud splash somewhere in the pool. My heart sank as ripples spread across the water's surface. It had claimed its prize. I turned away, despondent at my last. It had to be done, Marion said. Remember Joe, Janet chipped in. 
you still have some of the rose quartz in your pocket. Putting my hand in my jacket pocket, I felt the smooth texture of the crystal. This comforted me somewhat. Although I no longer had Guevara's chalice, at least I had some memento to show that it existed. So, they end up going back. Well, this is where they uh, meet up with Mike. That's where Mike catches up with them. And they end up turning back and going back to the house. In the meantime... Terry watched Mike melt into the darkness. He heard him scramble over the fence, and it went quiet. Now only he remained to cr protect Graham and Gaynor. Graham was belt double, bent double, clutching his stomach. The remnants of the fire glowed dully in the moonlight, but even in, in this dim light, he could see that his colleague was struggling to keep himself from being taken over. With sudden movement, Graham stood up and began to spit and snarl. A horrible feeling of nausea swept over Terry, and he put his hand to his mouth. There was no way he could stop himself from being sick. He began to retch. From within the stone circle, in which he had been placed for protection, Gaynor could see Terry's predicament. At that moment, Graham began to advance menacingly towards her. She knew that Graham would never harm her, but the thing that had taken over his body certainly had every intention. Terry lifted his head and saw his end his entranced colleague moving towards Gaynor. Even though he felt very ill, he knew he must do something to protect her. He staggered across the garden and gra grabbed Graham around his waist. I'll kill her, Graham roared. You are too weak to stop me. Spurred on by these words, Terry wrestled Graham to the floor. 30 seconds or so, Terry hung on to Graham's writhing torso in his weakened state. He knew that he would not be able to hang on much longer. From her position in the circle... Gaynor witnessed the struggle being carried out for her body and soul. She hoped that Kerry, Terry could hold on. You are too weak, so she will die, he growled as he moved towards his prey. Terry was not going to be defeated. No matter how ill he was feeling, he got up and threw himself at Graham. Gaynor stood and watched helpless as her friends wrestled with each other in the dark, locked together. Graham and Terry fought their way around the garden. Potted plants and garden furniture being strewn in their wake, passing the circle of stones, their struggle brought them to the bottom of the garden and very close to the cottage. At this point, Graham broke free. Graham uh, starts to uh, pick up the stones. Apparently he's got, at this point, like superhuman strength. And this stone <laughs> circle, he's just lifting these stones up and just throwing them out of the way so it breaks the protection spell. Terry's doing that. No, Graham. Graham. Uh, Terry Gaynor sh uh, shrilled fearfully. He's breaking the circle. Terry dragged himself to his knees. In the dim light, he could see Graham manoeuvring a large stone that formed part of the circle. With almost superhuman strength, Graham lifted it up into the air and threw it down. It landed with a dull thud close to Gaynor. Graham had breached the barrier and stood snarling, clawing at his prey, who had retreated to the back edge of the circle. Heaving himself once more to his feet, Terry stumbled forwards towards his adversary. Whatever had taken over Graham, Terry understood that he was no match for it, but he had to do something. Yeah, Graham hoisted another large rock into the air and cast it aside as if it was a pedable. He advanced towards the frightened teenager who began to shake uncontrollably. Grabbing Gaynor by the arm, he dragged her into the middle of the circle and touched her in the middle of her forehead. She collapsed to the ground. At that moment, Terry launched himself at Graham, knocking him down heavily. With his last ounce of strength, he pressed against his friend's body tried to pin him to the ground. Within moments, Terry realised that Graham was not moving, but neither was Gaynor. A horrendous thought flashed through his mind. Were his friends dead? He felt Graham's pulse. It was still beating. Reaching out to the body of Gaynor, he felt her pulse. A sigh of relief escaped his lips as he felt a throb. Both of them were still alive. Sitting back on his haunches, Terry peered forlornly down at his stricken comrades, realising that they were unconscious. There was nothing that he could do now but wait for the others to return. 
Struggling to his feet, he staggered partway up the garden before collapsing into a crumpled heap. He clutched his aching stomach and lay unmoving under the night sky. His mind began to wander as a nauseating blackness began to creep over his senses. Distant voices etched themselves into his mind and he drifted off into a semi-conscious state. Were they real? He could not tell. Were, were they, where were his colleagues? Blackness descended upon him and he passed out. So what I think happens there is at the moment that they threw the core and the chalice into the pool is the same point where Graham's actually got hold of Gaynor and he's touched on the forehead, done whatever magical thing to knock her right. Mm -hmm. As the artifacts have landed in the pool, it's broken the Hore's um, spell, like manifestation over him. Oh, okay. And he's also yeah, yeah. collapsed. So all three of them are now passed out in the garden when all these guys get back and they're just wondering what the hell is going on. Yeah, so climbing over the perimeter fence, we dropped to the ground. It was pitch black and deathly quiet. Moving slowly forward, we could see all that was left of the fire was a few dying embers scattered across the grass. Where is everybody? I whispered. The ominous silence pervaded the whole garden, the darkness blinding us to any movement. Pat edged forward. Terry, where are you? She cried out anxiously. Over here, a faint, feeble voice returned. Pat ran in the direction of the voice, and the rest of us followed her. In the middle of the garden, a body lay in a crumpled heap on the ground. It was Terry. A short distance away, I could see Graham's body sprawled on the edge of the stone circle. Gainer lay inside, unmoving. Large stones that had once formed part of the circle lay strewn about the ground, as were garden furniture and potted plants. A titanic battle appeared to have taken place while we'd been away. Bloody hell, I yelled. What happened? Uh, so they, they obviously, they check them out. Say, so, oh, she's still breathing. Yeah, she's still breathing. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, nearby, I could hear Terry's distraught voice. It was quivering, and he appeared to be close to tears. Where were you? Where were you? He croaked tearfully. I'd never seen Terry in this state before. Whatever must have happened in our absence, I shuddered to think. Terry took a deep breath to control himself. Pat kissed him gently on the cheek. What happened, Terry? She asked tenderly. Graham sent Mike to fetch you back. Uh, but it wasn't Graham. He tricked us. For when Mike had gone, Graham turned to me. Too late, I realised what he had done. The evil entity had taken over him now, and there was only me and my weakened state to defend Gaynor. She was in the circle, and Graham tried to pick the stones to break the protection. I fought with him all my strength. For all, for I don't know how long uh, it seemed like an eternity. Uh, he would break free and lift the stones above his head as if they were pebbles and just throw them aside. I tried to stop him, but he was throwing me about as if I was a rag doll. Finally, he grabbed Gaynor and she collapsed to the ground. I jumped on Graham and wrestled him to the floor with that, what was left of my strength. Held him down as he struggled. Then he stopped moving. I got up and moved a few feet. Then I collapsed. I thought I heard voices in the distance. Then I blacked out. It must have been us you heard. Uh, you could not have been out for long. Gaynor's coming round, Marion sobbed thankfully. I think she's all right. Gaynor sat up and looked around. You're back, she mumbled weakly. How's Graham? Gaynor asked as she saw his body lying unmoving on the ground. I don't know, I replied, but I think it would be a good idea if we took him inside the house. Um, so that's what they did. They pick him up, take him inside the house and uh, lie him down on the sofa. I think he's coming round, Janet said as she rubbed Graham's hand. Graham slowly opened his eyes and blinked. Where am I? You're in Terry's lounge. You're all back, he stated in a broad grin spreading across his face. How are you feeling, I asked, wondering if the night's events had affected him in any way. Apart from a muzzy head, I feel fine. How's everybody else? 
Graham spied Terry looking vacant in his seat. Bloody hell, Terry, Graham chuckled. What's happened to you? You're what happened to me, Terry blurted out caustically. First you get me drunk and then you attack me when there's nobody about. We all laughed at the comical situation. Sorry, Graham could not remember anything about Terry's struggle with the entity that had possessed him. Gaynor assured him that she was feeling okay and not to be concerned. Marion related our journey to the pool of protection and my reluctance to throw Guevara's chalice into the water. What? Graham cried out. The chalice had been thrown into the water. Yes, Pat replied. That's what you told us to do. Only the rose quartz should have been thrown in, Graham growled, shaking his head despondently. Somehow there had been a misunderstanding. It was too late for the chalice lay somewhere in the pool of protection. I felt dejected on realising the chalice need not have been lost. At least I still retained some of the crystals as a reminder of the symbol that related to my position in the group, although that was a poor consolation. Still it had been an incredibly eventful night, one that I would not have missed for anything. Now it was over, and we wondered what the project had in store for us next. So... Again, they kind of got it completely wrong. It should have been the quartz crystals that went into the pool, and he threw the chalice and kept the crystals. Mm. Um, but and what else did they throw in? It was the chalice uh, the and, core, and the, the core, the core that he retrieved from the which pillar. was a small perspex kind of box. Yeah, it sort of looked like 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 a, like a cube or a square. Okay. <laughs> there's a so lot again, to, lot to digest here. Yeah, these these rituals make absolutely no sense, really. No sense at all. No sense at all. Um, and I will be bringing it up to Joe. Okay, yeah, that's fair enough. I don't blame you. Um, <laughs> but whatever happened and transpired there, somehow they have, they've managed to get some kind of success because they are promised a legacy. Okay? All right. So they gather again. This is a different night, maybe like some weeks or months later. They like to gather. Yeah, they do. Uh, well, the, the story is about their gatherings, mm. you know. Obviously, he doesn't talk about his life in between the, the, the project. Um, so, yeah, they gather, and Graham begins. We have all been asked here tonight. I'm not exactly sure why, but I do, not, but I do know that it's important. I can't really tell you much more at the moment. With that, he walked out of the lounge. I watched him disappear and wonder what he was up to. Graham was in an, en an enigmatic character, his intelligence more than matched by his ability to come up with the answers required on an intuitive level. He seemed to have vast, unplumbed depth to him. The ability to render people helpless with laughter through his stories was legendary with those that knew him. I liked Graham very much. He was the sort of person I would have sought as a friend in any circumstance. Um, five minutes had elapsed when Graham returned to the lounge. If you've all finished your drinks, we'll begin, he remarked. Can you turn off the lights, Terry, please? So they do that, turn off the lights. In the gloom, the glow from the fire made Graham fairly visible. His eyes were closed, his hands resting on his arms of the chair, as his breathing became deeper. My colleagues and I sat quietly, the science, silence broken by the hissing fire and the sounds of Graham's breathing, and the clock which ticked monotonously on the wall. Graham moved slightly and settled back further into the chair. A murmur passed his lips. He was whispering in a very low voice, but we couldn't hear. Can you speak up, please, Gaynor said. It is I, Margaret. I have come to help you and show you what you can achieve if you so desire. Time is a fundamental aspect of this reality that you all live in. It is this aspect of time that you must use tonight. The one who re represents time on the tree of life must bring out of time that which she wishes most 
for you all. Whatever that may be, it may be that you wish for the legacy that has been left for you. It is yours if you so wish it. I will go now to allow Graham to participate in the discussion. So Graham wakes up. What happened? He says, Gainer switched the lights on and we proceeded to inform him of what Margaret had said to us. That's interesting, Graham commented thoughtfully. Well, what do you think, Janet? He drawled. You're the person in control at the moment. What do you think we should try and achieve tonight? I don't really know, she responded after a few moments of deliberation. But Margaret did mention the legacy. Maybe we should try for that. The legacy, I thought to myself. In the past, when Margaret had communicated with the Meonia group, she had stipulated that a legacy had been left. What it consisted of, she would not say but it would enable those that came after her to be financially solvent in order to continue the project. It was expensive in money as well as time, and central fund would have helped enormously. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I definitely think we should go for the legacy, which I feel is contained in a black box. Okay, Graham Church. A black box it will be. Uh, easing his tall frame from the armchair, he began pacing the floor like a nervous panther. His face was study and concentration. It was obvious he was trying to work out what to do next. Graham stopped suddenly and turned to Janet. Janet, Pat, Marion, come with me to the well. They jumped up, followed Graham out of the lounge. Mike stood up to stretch his legs. I wonder what's going to happen, he mused. Moving to the window, Mike peeped through the curtains into the blackness. I can't see anything, he drawled. You any idea, Gainer? Nope. You're some use. Well, thanks. Um, at the moment, we were all in good spirits. I hope that being in a good frame of mind would help us to be as one, so enabled to accomplish what we had to do. The sound of the back door opening alerted us that our colleagues had come back from their foray. Graham walked in, followed by Janet, Pat and Marion. Shuffling up on the sofa, I made room to accommodate. Pat plonked herself on the floor next to her husband. Graham stood by the fire and began to relate what they had done outside. I think that what we have done at the well will have paved the way to obtain the legacy. The next thing is that has to be done is for Janet to call the legacy from wherever it is hidden. Graham paused momentarily. He seemed to be listening to some inner voice. Janet, Pat, Marion, following me back to the well. Drooping in single file, they once again followed Graham out of the cottage to the cold, dark night. I wondered what was happening out in the garden. No doubt we would soon find out, with nothing to do but wait for the colleagues to return. Terry, Mike and Gaynor and I began to deliberate on what was going to happen. Personally, my own objective would have been to obtain anything that would have given us knowledge that would have helped us with the project. But if we did get the legacy, I would settle for that. 
obtaining it, whatever the legacy was, would in itself have been an incredible achievement. What the hell's that? I yelled incredulously as they came back in. Uh, oh, sorry. In the distance, I'd picked up the sound of a high-pitched buzzing. It sounded as if a million bees were advancing towards the cottage. The sound got closer. Bloody hell, Terry blurted in a stunned expression on his face. Mike and Gaynor sat listening to the approaching sound, their faces a picture of disbelief. We heard the back door open and the buzzing got louder. Now it was inside the house. The buzzing intensified as it got closer. It had strange, unearthly quality to it, and it was different to the noise that I'd heard on the night when we had obtained the eye of fire. The four of us sat with our eyes fixed on the lounge door. The sound was now very loud and directly behind the door, uh, which, which then opened, and in they walked. This is it, Graham Wick grinned it was by the well when we got there i wasn't sure what to do with it because of the noise but it must be some sort of energy the buzzing from the box permeated permeated the room and seemed to fill every nook and cranny the atmosphere was electrifying the air filled with an energy that seemed to seep into every fiber of your being i'd never felt or heard anything like this before it was so strange i wasn't sure if it was dangerous or not graham continued but we could not leave it out there not with the noise that it was emitting Graham stopped talking as a faraway look appeared in his eyes. He seemed to be listening again to the silent voice, his head slightly tilted to one side. We'd have to take the box outside. It's too dangerous at this moment in time. Um, he Bending down, he caught hold of the handles that hung from the side of the object and attempted to hoist it up. Great effort, he managed to lift it off the ground. It's bleeding heavy, grunted Graham. Um as he struggled out of the lounge with a black box. The buzzing sound retreated into the distance until finally it was out of earshot. Marion shook her head in amazement. It was incredible. We could hear the noise as we approached the garden, and we wondered what it was. When we got to the well, the box was just sitting there on the grass. It's lucky we had the torch. Someone might have tripped over it in the dark. I certainly wasn't there when... It certainly wasn't there when we were at the well earlier. Well, what do you think, Janet? I was very surprised, she answered honestly. I did not really think it would come. I hope for your sake it's not full of rock, Terry declared jokingly. His face was beaming. You asked for a black box and that's what we've got. I wonder what the legacy is, I said, thinking out loud. Whatever it is, it must be something that can be converted into hard cash, commented Marion. But what would happen if we turned up somewhere with a quantity of jewellery, answered Mike, realising that there may be problems at this time. Someone could start asking questions. Well, we know, won't know what will happen until we open the box and see what it contains, retorted Gaynor in a matter-of-fact way. Uh, Graham reappeared and asked Janet to go back outside with him. Glancing to each other, we wondered what was going on. We soon found out. The buzzing noise was approaching the house. Graham and Janet were bringing the black box back into the cottage. Again, <laughs> I don't know why. We have to take it upstairs and put it in the pillar, Graham panted. It will be okay there. All right, Terry replied, getting to his feet. I'll lead the way. So that's what they do. What now, Graham? Terry inquired as he gingerly sat on the carpet next to Pat. I must have a seat, asked Graham. So he sits down, goes into a trance. But he's speaking, mumbling again. Can you speak louder, please? Pat requested. We can't hear you. Is this better? Came in response in a louder tone. Yes, thanks. Good, came in reply. I've been sent to aid you at this moment. My name is not important at this time. The box is still dangerous to you. The energy that is contained within it must be nullified. While it is still buzzing, it will be like Pandora's box, for it can destroy you all. At this moment, you are all safe because it is contained within the energy field of the pillar. What you need is mint. 
This contains the properties that you mint. require to... Yeah, mint. <laughs> That's oh, what it says. <laughs> Bite <in> my tongue. <laughs> Not sage. You'd think it'd be sage, wouldn't you? No. Um, this contains properties that require you to nullify the energy. Is there anything about it? Is there any about it? I'm sorry, but we haven't any. Graham went silent. I'll be back shortly. Graham suddenly rose from the chair. I'll be back shortly, he whispered as he made his way out of the room. Sound of footsteps up the stairs indicated the direction in which he was going. What he was up to, we did not have a clue. Whoever or whatever had taken... Oh, I know what he's doing. Right, so Graham... Right, because he needs mint. Right. Right. Of course you do. So Graham goes into the bathroom and picks up a tube of toothpaste. (laughs) Okay. Mint, you know. Yeah. And then he he draws a Celtic cross on the top of the box. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. So, listen, everybody, Marion gasped. It stopped. The buzzing has stopped. We listened, and there was no muffled buzzing, only the sounds to be heard with a monotonous ticking of the clock and the clunk of Graham's shoes that distended the stairs. The door opened, and the light from the hall flooded into the darkened room. Graham stood in the doorway, the black metal box in his hands. Make some space, please, he requested. I'll have to put it in the middle of the room. We shuffled about to create some extra space, and Graham, who was still in a trance, stepped in placing in placing the now quiet box onto the carpet. Returning to the hall, he turned off to the light and rejoined us, closing the door behind him. It went very black, and then a sudden gasp erupted around the room. Bloody hell, I cried. What the heck is in that box? On top of the lid, where Dr- Graham had drawn the design using the toothpaste, uh, the Celtic cross was illuminating light. <laughs> A property that, as far as I knew, toothpaste did not have. (laughs) What sort of energy is coming from that box, I asked in amazement. Do not worry yourselves, Graham sighed. It's safe. But I must tell you that within that box lies a power beyond human comprehension. Janet, are you prepared to open the box? Uh, Yes, I am, Janet replied confidently. The voice of Graham continued. Are you prepared to open the box and look into the blood-red heart of knowledge that lies beyond time and space? Looking upon this, knowing that one can look in what you find there could drive you insane. Is that what could happen? Janice gasped. Yes. I'm sorry, Janet confessed. I can't do it. I'm too frightened. That's all right, Graham's voice. The only other person who can open the box is Gaynor. Are you prepared to undertake the task? Yeah, I'll do it, Gaynor replied. So be it. The heart of knowledge lies in the sphere of death. Come with me and open the box. In the darkness, I could just make out the figures of Graham and Gaynor taking hold of the box. They carried it to the right-hand corner of the lounge and placed it on the floor. Gaynor knelt down by the box. Her time had come. I could feel the tension in the air like ripples of electricity. My breathing quickened, and I could feel a pulse throbbing in my finger. Are you ready, Gaynor? Graham said, with moving slightly away from the box. Yes, I am. Look into the box. In the darkness, I could just discern Gaynor's kneeling figure with Graham standing close by. I heard her fumble with the lock, and then the hinges creaked as she opened the lid. As the lid fell open, everyone let out a gasp. A rose-pink light burst from the box, illuminating the corner of the room and bathing Gaynor and Graham in soft, luminous sheen. Instantly, a flash of understanding came to me. Darth on the Tree of Life was associated with a rose-pink colour which symbolised mystical knowledge. Darth was the heart of the rose, whose symbol I had held in the form of Gravara's wooden chalice filled with rose quartz. The heart of the rose and the Holy Grail were one and the same, and represented Darth. It was Darth's energy that somehow manifested from this box. This energy, I understood, was a light of the Grail. 
Gaynor placed her hands in the box and pulled something out, placing it around her neck. It was a necklace which appeared to be made of gold. The design was interesting, for it looked like something that an Egyptian pharaoh would have worn. Gaynor continued to place her hands into the depths of the rose pink's light emanating out of the metal box, each time clutching what seemed to be solid gold Egyptian jewellery. Finally, she stood up. Bathed in a rose light, I could see she was adorned with an incredible display of Egyptian finery. On her brow, a solid gold headband encrusted with jewels reflected the rose light, the gems coruscating like a myriad stars in space. Around her neck hung a magnificent necklace, and on her wrists were beautiful bracelets. With right facial makeup, she would have looked like an ancient Egyptian queen. We gasped at the splendour of the artefacts. This was the legacy. They must be worth millions, cried Marion in astonishment. Bathed in rose-pink light of Darth, Gaynor turned to Graham, who began to speak. These are the regal trappings of Sare that have been left for us. Gaynor will now have to put them away, back into the container. We will not be allowed to reopen the box until the time is right. We all groaned in disappointment, but it would have been nice to have had a closer look at the jewellery. But over time, the group had learned not to go against any instructions they were given because things would go wrong. Time had been an important factor in the project, and I felt that at this moment the energy required to keep the legacy in our rea reality may, not, may have not been enough. The occult circles, it is believed, certain times of the year have more energetic spiritual power than at other times. I mean, they find a way to mess it up anyway. They, they just said we can't do X, Y, Z because we're worried about messing it up. Yeah. But then they mess it up. They, uh, yeah, they and can't. also, one very... I can't not say it because I've been biting my tongue. They threw the chalice into the pond. Mm -hmm. Anywhere in that book does it say that they went back looking for it? If they No, no. Oh, it's, perfect. it's infuriating, isn't it? Yeah. And it's a wooden chalice. Obviously, you can't use a metal detector. But, I mean, you could get a net... Dredge out the pond, That's what I was thinking. anything. Get the Fishing chalice net. back. Yeah, I I thought exactly the same thing when I first read it's this book. It's like no, it's it is infuriating that nobody bothered going back. I would have put waders on, <laughs> you know. Yeah, got a fishing net or something, you know. Mm -hmm. Try try to get the chalice back, but apparently no. They, the one thing they I need to ask Joe is, I'm noticing that everything just happens to be so convenient, and the the bit where he was like. I have a feeling we need a box. Oh, there it is, next to a well. We've got the box. It's dangerous. No, it's not dangerous. Let's take it in the house. It's outside. Let's put it upstairs. It's all a load of crystal maze stuff going yeah. on. And I'm, I'm at this point, I've, I've managed to keep up with you. Yeah. And I am still keeping up with you. But there's certain things that are happening that it's just so infuriating. And like to randomly just go, oh, we need mint. Oh, I know, toothpaste. I'll do a Celtic cross. Now it's lighting up. I'm like, what is going on? Like, yeah, what, Are oh, these people still drunk from the day before? Like, I don't, I don't understand I don't what is happening. I don't have the answers. This is what, this, I, I agreed to do this book if I could interview the author. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it, honestly, mate. Because like you say, there is so much stuff in here. It's a great story. Don't get me wrong. Story. It's a very good story. It's a very good story. I'm... I'm Saying it how it is, yeah. I'm I'm struggling so much to to work out which bits in my mind are fiction and non-fiction. Right. Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not taking anything away from Joe or the author or anything of those. I'm I'm being very respectful. It's just the way it's written and the stuff that is happening with these people. Yeah. I've just noticed coincidences and things like even then on the on the chapter before. 
where it happened to be Graham, Terry, and Gaynor, the three most psychic people all together. And yeah. it was almost like, let's just send the other people away. And oh, that's a bit convenient. Yeah, I know what you mean. Do you know what I mean? Can I just yeah, do this, just this next chapter and we'll finish it there. I'm not going to go right up to the very end of the book because <laughs> this is pretty much sort of the end of it now. They said, the following Saturday, Terry called. The black box was to be opened that evening. Could I make it? There was no chance of my missing out event. At half seven, I drove like a madman to the Shotton's home. My car must have been spotted as I manoeuvred down the the potholed lane for as I arrived the door of the cottage opened Janet stepped out to greet me it was always a pleasant experience to be met by Janet because I had always found her to be a very nice human being today though her normal cheery face looked rather sour for some reason she did not look very happy you look a bit grim I said what's up you'll find out she growled so they'd go in the house everybody's here but something wasn't right what's going on I asked feeling a bit uneasy at the sullen masks my friends were wearing the excitement that I had been feeling was quickly evaporating. Graham stood up. Well, I might as well tell you, Joe, we bought the box here as instructed. Then Gaynor went under and the white lady spoke through her. She said to me, just this once, what is it you want? I just blurted out, next week's groceries would come, wouldn't come amiss as a joke. The white lady said, so be it. Gaynor opened the box. To my horror, it was full of tinned food. I've blown it for us all. I'm sorry. <laughs> Mm. You mean I've nearly killed myself getting here for some tinned food, I groaned dejectedly, I'm afraid so. Oh, that's bleeding great, I moaned as an empty feeling hit me in the solar plexus. I know how you feel, Joe, Terry stated as he patted me consolingly on the back. We all feel the same way. They give it to you in one hand and take it away with the other, complained Gainey. I'm fed up of it. The young teenager sat with her elbows <laughs> on her knees, a doleful-looking face in her hands. I think that is the way it was meant to be, Cat confided, trying to lift everyone's spirit. So close yet so far, Janet said glumly. She sat down on the sofa and I plunked, the, plunked next to her myself. They did, not, they did say things can be what you want them to be, Marion piped up. And this has been proved with what has just happened. Are you sure the artefacts were in there, Graham? I asked. The box has remained locked since you last saw it, he replied. There was certainly something heavy inside when we brought it in. There's no way of getting the legacy back, I replied, still hanging on to the slightest hope that it all was not lost. No, Gaynor said forlornly. We had one chance and we blew it. Each face in the room mirrored the disbelief that everyone was feeling. We all felt the same. I felt totally disheartened. We go through all this and all for nothing, uh, Mike forlornly. It's not for nothing, Graham retorted quickly. We've had to learn a lesson the hard way. Maybe we have to learn not to take things so lightly in the future. Although we chatted for a bit longer, our spirits could not be lifted. With a heavy heart, I bade farewell to my comrades and drove home. The metamorphosis of the legacy into a pile of tin food was a le learning curve that I just could have done without. My journey back was filled with a sense of loss. This was not just for the financial aspect of the legacy, but something that was far more important. The knowledge that would have been associated with the artefacts. What this knowledge consisted of, I did not know, but it must have been awesome. Putting the legacy in another level of reality was in itself sufficient evidence that Margaret and her group possessed knowledge of extraordinary proportions. I hope that one day this knowledge would be made available to the present me and I group. This thought comforted me somewhat, and I hope that day would not be too far in the future. Now, this, there are a few more chapters, um, with a couple more rituals that they go through, um, 
uh, and it's sort of but that is essentially the end game really that I wanted to take you through so yes now feel free rip at it Josh is that how it ends no that's not how it ends but that, that that's where I'm coming to a close on it just because I think that's quite a funny ending <laughs> <laughs> go through all that just to get some tin peas so they had the option to find what power success well or after that they do have um they have another ritual they have to do um it's in a chapter called the threshold of the hunter where they have to call uh Hearn, i think his name is the hunter uh and um i think a, a, a new another box appears in terry's attic oh Oh. Another one, wow. and it's got some stones in it, and I think it's like a a stuffed bird, a woodpecker, <laughs> covered in mint. <laughs> uh, no, no, but it wasn't there before. But um, then they are told by uh, a spirit that calls himself the Joker that if they take the stones from the box, they will be given unlimited power. They will become as gods. Okay, um, but they don't want to do that, so. Because you know, I, I don't really know why. I'd give it a go, but um, what <laughs> you're telling me, you've got a sour face because you've got because next week's yeah, groceries got and then... groceries instead of riches and jewelry, and, and then, then given the it, option, given the option to become as godlike beings, I'll stick with my peaches. And yeah, uh, and I think it is. Um, it might be Margaret again that uh, then comes back and uh, tells them that they got to destroy the box. So they light a fire and destroy the box. And then um, uh, the Graham goes into a trance uh, where Pam communicates through them again. And he asked... Uh, Graham went into a trance. Pam began to communicate some interesting information. He asked me if we wished to know the truth or the real truth. I replied, the real truth. Pam stated that the difference between the truth and the real truth was like comparing the light of a candle to the light of a supernova, an exploding sun. The truth, he said, was all that human being could had and would conceive. The real truth was beyond humanity's wildest imaginings and lay beyond the confines of the mind and intellect. It was, Pan's, it was Pan stated, unknowable to humanity in its present condition. But after uh, destroying the box... Uh, they're then visited by Margaret, who says, this is Margaret. Now the box has been destroyed. The new phase of the project has begun, where before you have fought psychic battles, these battles will now become manifest in your normal daily lives. The circumstances of your lives will be indicators on how things are developing. Now there will be no guidance, no communication, only circumstance to show the way. You were asked if you wanted to know the truth or the real truth. You chose the real truth. This you can only know through your own efforts. I wish you well, my successors. And that is pretty All much right. it. Yeah, so they don't even get the truth. So like I said, it doesn't have a Hollywood ending. Enjoy the journey, not the, the destination, I'd say, on this one. Mm. So, I mean, go ahead, mate. Go ahead, because I know you're frustrated by, by some of these um, events and whatnot. Well, I have to be... Not I have to be. I want, I want to be respectful to the author because there's a lot of hard work that goes into writing a book. Yeah. I definitely couldn't write a whole book. No. Regardless of whether it's it's true or not and whether the ending fell flat or not, it's it's still a a good story. There's It is a very good story. Like I said, I, I, I can only put 
I can only take it as read that Joe is telling the truth about yeah. the things that he was present for. Now, mm. it did cross my mind when I was reading this book that it was kind of all made up by Terry and Graham and Mike. Because, mm. you know, it's when when Joe's not there, the stones appear. And, yes. you know, like you say, Graham will go, oh, you go over there, and, and then something will happen with him. And then he'll be like, oh, look at what's happened here. But, I mean... It's a difficult one because I mean, where the hell would they get these rings? Where would they get that ancient sword? You know, if they I were mean, trying to fake it. That that's the thing, isn't it? Right. So, oh, there's there's so much a to lot, unpack with it. There are, are other people who have done book reviews on mm. this book that have just outright stated they don't believe it's non-fiction. They just think it is completely made up mm -hmm. a novel. I, I don't want to stay because I'd like to believe that this is an, a work of non-fiction. You know, it's a biography. Joe is recounting something that happened to him mm. 40 years ago. Yes. So obviously some of it is going to be, you know, he's, he's had to fill it up, you know, to make it yeah, a novel, yeah. to make it descriptive. And may, maybe some of it, you know, he, he wasn't present for and all he's taken it is other people's word for mm. it. Yeah, and I understand as well when we're all the same. When when you're telling a story or writing a book, or you might embellish a little bit, embellish it. You you make it a little bit better, and you know he's using a lot of descriptive words and mm -hmm. telling a story, and he's done a very good job of that. It's such a wild ride. It's a wild ride. Now I'm uh, I'm going to be very honest, just like I am with ghosts and yeah. things. I have to see it to believe it. So, so you're still quite skeptical. I'm about very skeptical about this, and it's only been, you know, like the the first part you done. I'm getting into it. I'm loving yeah. it. The Green Stone. Oh, Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah. There's some good. Nothing's too far fetched for me. I'm kind of, you know, I'm listening, and I'm like, yeah, fair play. Like they're they're getting psychic readings and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm very open minded to all of that. We have psychics. We have mediums. The second part comes along. Things start appearing, you know, like out of thin air. Yeah, like teleported materialization, sort of just bing. Yeah, yeah, that was the first light bulb that went off for me where I thought, okay, maybe there's something going on here that I need to either ask Joe about. Yeah, well, or... I, I think the explanation would be that these, the stones and, and whatnot and the chalice and the sword mm. are be, being delivered to them from another dimension. Mm. So that's why that, excuse me, Appearing out of thin air, the rings of the wraiths and that sort of thing. Yeah. But it's all very convenient. It is. And it wasn't until that last bit, and you've got some fun looks of uh, me looking at the camera. I never look at that <laughs> camera. I never look at that camera. And during this, I reckon there's about five times where you said something, and I've looked at the camera and gone, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's convenient, isn't it? So have fun with that. So... It's just the little things, like when I said to you after we listened to the last episode back, and I said the the spirit wanted a lantern, yeah. and then they said, "Oh, we got, oh, a, we got a, we've got a flashlight, we've got a torch, that'll do." Mm. Now, if this is meant to be a, a spirit or a god, I wouldn't be happy with that. I'd I'd be saying, "Well, no, that's not a lantern." I know what you mean. Same with Anubis. His sign is the ankh. An ankh is yeah. similar to a cross, but it's not a cross. They give yeah. them a cross and it still works. I know, yeah. I know exactly what you mean because, like, there are bits of this book that I'm quite skeptical of mm -hmm. as well. 
Yeah. I've read through the whole thing, and some of them, some of the bits that were in there mm. that I was skeptical of, I've just left out of this review, this book dive. But the real crazy bits, Joe's not around for. A lot of them, no. That's the bit that I'm like. Yeah, I, I hope they're not winding him up. Yeah, that's what I thought. I wondered if he's been sort of taken for a ride or mm. whatever, because uh, it does seem to be Terry Graham and Mike that all this magic, mysterious stuff just yeah. seems to happen in their presence, and then they'll ring them up and go, "Oh, come over! Look, look, mm. look, look! We found these rings. We found this stone. We found this. We found that." Mm. Sorry, you weren't there to witness it. Yeah, all the time. Uh, so I this mean, is why I, I said I'd only cover this book if I could interview the author and I could get his. Pick his brain a bit. Yeah, yeah pick yeah. his brain a bit. Because, yeah, there's so much in here that's just sort of happenstance. There, there has to be some sort of truth because they have got artifacts. They've yeah. got, there's there's the sword and there, there is pictures of it. Yeah, yeah. There. So there, is, there has to be some element of truth. I'm not saying it's 100% rubbish like other people have and yeah. reviewed the book. I'm just a little bit skeptical on certain bits that certain don't quite make sense to yeah, me. Yeah, things that don't maybe add up. But you know, I'm I'm fifty fifty on certain elements of the book. Yeah. Some bits that Joe has described and said that his that he's witnessed and things, I've gone I've listened and I thought, yeah, you know what, that isn't actually too far fetched. Yeah. And it's it's fair enough. Like, you know, if he's saying that's what happened, I believe the guy. Like you said, it's the bits where oh, you know, sorry, where you missed he's it. relating somebody else's story, and that's where all the massively fantastical stuff yeah. seems to happen. Yeah. Although, yeah, I mean, he 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 was witness to some quite amazing stuff himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'd take it as read that he's telling the truth on that. Um, mm. It's no, yeah. it's no different to someone saying, "I saw, I saw a ghost," and you go, well, "Where did you see it?" That person goes and looks, and it's not there. But that person that originally said it, they know what happened. Yeah. They they saw it. You just have to believe them or, yeah, or not. Yeah, yeah. It's it's up to you whether you believe it or not. So yeah. it's no different. It's it's still a good story and stuff. But and the yeah. thing is as well, also, I I'd like to think that the likes of you and I, if we were to try and pick up on this trail, you know, mm. you know, do the same things that they do in this story we wouldn't see these lights we wouldn't mm. have gemstones apported to us out of nowhere you know the sword wouldn't be there the chalice wouldn't be there it's because they are such intuitive people that they've been sort of called to this group for yeah. this reason that's the only reason why these things actually mm. manifest yeah that part of it is is fair enough i understand that no, part. you know but i mean next week we'll, we've got joe on the podcast we're going to be asking him a few questions. Yeah. And hopefully, I will be hopefully he's got some answers. Yeah, we'll be, we're, of course yeah, yeah. we're going to be respectful to the guy. Like, you know, I mean, yeah. we've just covered his book. so I mean, It's kind of his life's work in a way. So uh, Maybe not. I've got a feeling that Clive Potter told me he was writing another one sort of to try and explain this book a little bit and his, his feelings ah. towards the story. Okay. So, so it'll be interesting to hear his perspective on certain things as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. You never know. We could interview him, and he might turn around and say, "Yeah, I was a bit skeptical of that bit." So he he might, he he might, might be. be on the same. We don't know yet. We'll have to interview and, and yeah, find he, out. He might be. But I'm looking forward to that. I'm yeah. looking forward to that. That will give me hopefully some clarity and some answers to some questions. When I spoke to him a week or two ago, I did. I sort of. I said to him, "I have questions for you," mm -hmm. and he was like, "Oh, what do you want? What do you want to know?" Sort of thing. Yeah. And I was like, "No, I'm not. I'm not asking them now. I'll ask them." After I've done the book review, because I'm sure Josh will have plenty of questions yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, um, 
so, so, but yeah, I know he he is ready to receive our questions and answer anything that we come up with. I'm not going to be disrespectful to him. I'd, I'd like to think that he's been as truthful as he could be while writing mm. this book. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, parts that he wasn't actually present for, we've just got to take it as read that it, that was how it yeah, was. Yeah, true. Because he's not going to be able to answer certain things when he wasn't there. He wasn't there. So, yeah, I suppose he's in, in the same boat, isn't he? He's got to take someone else's word for it. Yeah. So. No, it's very interesting. But there we are. That is the Chronicles of Mianaya. Um, like I said, if you want to buy it and have a read through it yourself, it is uh, it, it's a mind blowing story. It, it is really actually, does challenge your beliefs. It is a very good story. I, I can completely understand why some people think it's just a, a complete work of fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows? We'll find out next week when Joe Larosa comes on the podcast yeah. and we actually get to grill his brains about it. Yeah, people have believed in a lot crazier stuff. Oh, definitely. So yeah. It's not. It's not that bad to me. Yeah. It's just there's questions. <laughs> it's an interesting one. Yeah. And it was something different to UFOs, which was going to be my next. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> we're on that um, mailing list for the Flying Disc Press, and every week Graham is sending me. Uh, yeah. It's not Graham, Philip um, is sending me Graham on the brain now from this book. <laughs> but yeah, Philip Mantle sending me emails going, Oh, I interview this guy, interview this guy, cover this book, cover this book. And I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. I've got a backlog of books that I've got to go through first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hold your horses. But anyway, that one, w- yeah, that one, I thought it was a good story. Mm. And the chance to actually speak to the author w- is coming next week. So if you're interested to see what Joe has to say about this himself, Please tune in next week. And until then, I've been Pirate. I'm Josh. This has been Paranormality UK. Ta-ta. Ta-ta.